Well, good morning, everybody. That was very subtle of you. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. There we go. Thank you. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, as, as the college and young adults pastor, I do want to remind all of you young adults, call your mom after service, okay? If you have not yet, wish her a happy Mother's Day. I'll be doing that right after this service as well. You know, I have a couple of memories of growing up where my sisters and I would serve my mom breakfast in bed on Mother's Day. Uh, this is kind of a, a classic Mother's Day thing. Uh, did, did any moms actually get breakfast in bed this morning? Okay, I, I really tried to give the first service the benefit of the doubt and say all those people were coming to second service, but I, I guess not. No breakfast in bed. That's okay, though. You know, I also did not serve uh, Lindsay breakfast in bed this morning. My boys and I did not. Uh, it wasn't because I had to be out the door at 7 a.m. to be here this morning, which was true. Uh, but even if I had been home, we wouldn't have served Lindsay breakfast in bed because basically everything about breakfast in bed, Lindsay would hate. Um, so you have the whole like sleeping in piece. She doesn't like to sleep in. She'd rather get up early before the kids and have some time in the quiet before the chaos erupts in our home. Um, also the like breakfast first thing in the morning, like no, not really her thing, you know, wait a little bit of time. And then there's the whole crumbs in the bed. Like, yeah, not, not, not her cup of tea. It's not going to happen. But this morning, uh, that's okay because I, I, I know the key to Lindsay's heart and it's not breakfast in bed, but it is a good cup of coffee. So uh, a few weeks ago, I ordered some specialty beans from her favorite coffee roaster, an Ethiopia dry process coffee. We're talking, you know, notes of wild blueberry, passion fruit, a little lavender on the finish. This stuff is delicious. Ground the beans this morning, heated the water in the kettle and made her a delicious pour over. Uh, so happy Mother's Day, Lindsay. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> But uh, I, I don't say this in any way to, to boast about how wonderful of a husband I am. After all, I did leave her at home with our three kids at 7 a.m. on Mother's Day. Um, but I say this actually more by way of confession. Because for me, uh, as I made this cup of coffee for Lindsay, I also made a, coffee, a cup of coffee for myself. And it wasn't the first cup of coffee that I made this morning for myself. I had already been up for a little while. And so this was round two for me. And this is always the way that the day starts for me. Two cups of coffee before I'm out the door in the morning. And on the days where that doesn't happen, I'm moving a little bit slower. You know, the mind is a little foggy. The eyes are a little heavy. Eventually, the headache starts to set in. Uh, some of you know how this goes, right? It's, it's, it's not ideal. But uh, that's, that's the way it is for me. It's, it's sort of this feeling like, like I'm really only half alive, honestly. Like I'm, I'm living, but I'm, I'm not really living. I wonder if there are those of us who feel that way in life. Right? Like you're kind of half alive, half awake, half asleep. Like you're living, but not really living. And maybe for you, that feeling ends after your first cup of coffee. That's great. For some of us, maybe that continues on though. Right? And there's, there's this sense that that we, we want life to be meaningful. We want it to be significant. We want it to be full. And it's not feeling that way. And so we, we look to different things to try to create that feeling. And some of us uh, might look to a successful career for that. 
And so we jump on that hamster wheel and we work and we work and we work and we work and we, and we try to succeed here, hoping that if we could achieve something, that that would fill this void, that would, that would lead to the good life. Or uh, maybe for others of us, it's, it's pleasure. We feel like if we could just kind of maximize pleasure and minimize pain, that this is what's going to lead us into the good life. Maybe for others of us, we say, oh, you know, keep, keep your successful career, keep your, your power and influence, keep your pleasure. I, I'm just looking for love. If I could just find love with another person, that's what would create this full life that I'm looking for. Well, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series called I Am, Getting to Know Jesus, where we're looking at these I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, where he's revealing himself to us. He's trying to teach us about who he is. And uh, the statement that we're going to look at this morning comes from John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 7, where Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Now, this is the third I am statement that we've looked at. We've already seen uh, I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world. And when we heard those images, there was maybe something in us that just kind of, we kind of understand what Jesus was getting at, right? And then we hear I am the door of the sheep and we go, huh? Well, what, is, what does it mean to be the door of the sheep? We had a little bit of cultural work to do here. We're going to unpack what Jesus was getting at. But as we do, we're going to see that this is a statement that Jesus speaks to those of us who feel half alive. This is a statement that Jesus speaks to those of us who are looking for something more in life. We're looking for satisfaction. We're looking for richness and fullness, and we're just not quite finding it. And what we're going to find in this passage is the solution to that feeling. So we're in John chapter 10, uh, and I want to start, before we act, get to Jesus' actual statement, I want to start at the beginning of the chapter in verses 1 through 6. So let's read these. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and Calls his, and he calls them by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So here Jesus kind of, he introduces this theme of sheep and shepherds and, and, and different things. He's trying to draw on this imagery of sheep farming. Now, uh, I'm guessing that not many of us have sheep at home. Does anybody have any sheep at home? Okay, great. I actually had somebody in the first service uh, tell me that they're fairly familiar with sheep, so they appreciated the background, but they had a little bit of a head start. I was like, great. Maybe that's some of you. For most of us, we're probably not real familiar with raising sheep. Okay, if Jesus would have gone with chickens, maybe a few of us would have known what he was talking about. If he would have gone with golden doodles, sure, okay, on board with that. But here we have sheep. Okay, what, what's involved with raising sheep, caring for sheep? Well, as Jesus unpacks this, there's, there's a number of different kind of elements of this uh, imagery that he draws. So first you have the sheep. And the sheep we know to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ. That's many of us. We are the sheep. 
And so in order to kind of help us really enter into the story, enter into character here, uh, I'm going to give us a chance to all make our best sheep sound. Okay? So think about that for just a moment. I actually, the same person who came up to me after the first service said, can I tell you a really interesting fact about sheep? I was like, sure. Uh, he's like, well, if you're out in a field and there's sheep far away and, and they start to baa, they sound an awful lot like people trying to sound like sheep. <laughs> I was like, that's not surprising. That's wonderful. Uh, so we're going to see if we can sound like sheep together this morning. So on the count of three, I want you to give me your best baa. Okay? One, two, three. <laughs> There's one over here that was really good. That was great. You guys sound like pretty good sheep. Okay, so uh, we are the sheep, okay? In this story, we are the sheep. As followers of Jesus, we are the sheep. Then we have these thieves and robbers. Who are the thieves and robbers? Well, just before this passage in the previous chapter, chapter nine of John, uh, there's this story where Jesus heals a blind man. And as, as a part of this story, Jesus brings a rebuke against the religious leaders for the mistreatment of this man. And he actually says that they are the ones who are spiritually blind. And so immediately after Jesus rebukes these Jewish leaders in this way, he turns and he starts talking about sheep and these thieves and robbers. And we go, oh, okay, I see Jesus. You're, you're trying to get us to think about these religious leaders. But then there's another sense in which these thieves and robbers, that is those who would seek to bring harm to the people of God, who come against them with, with violence or harm in some way, uh, we know this to be Satan and his demons, right? That there's a, a spiritual analogy that Jesus is trying to draw here against the evil one who would, who would come against us and try to bring harm. So we have, we are the sheep, we have Satan and the demons are these thieves and robbers, so what then of the shepherd and uh, the door and the gatekeeper that Jesus was talking about? I is he the shepherd? Yes. Is he the door? Yes. Is he the gatekeeper? Maybe yes. Right? Jesus is making this kind of mixed metaphor that might make us kind of wonder what's going on, but he seems perfectly comfortable with it. And yet those who are listening to him say, we don't get it. Jesus, we don't, we don't understand what you're trying to say. And so Jesus wants to become more clear. He wants to, to be more clear in what he's trying to get at. And he does so through these two I am statements. He's going to say, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. Next week, Scott is going to unpack that image of the good shepherd for us. But this week, we're going to camp on this idea of Jesus as the door to the sheep. What really does that mean? So uh, let's move then to verses seven through nine as we continue reading. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So here Jesus says it explicitly, right? I am the door to the sheep. He wants us to think about him as the door to the sheep. Now, I know uh, many of us are probably not very familiar with first century sheep farming practices. So for those of you who haven't dusted off that textbook for a while, let me try to unpack a little bit of what this was like. 
Again, in the first century, most families had sheep. You might have three to ten sheep that were uh, a part of your household. Um, and this was a very practical and very valuable thing to have because you could uh, use the wool to make clothes for yourself and your family, uh, and you could use the milk to drink or to make cheese or things like that. So there's a very practical kind of element. So these, these sheep were valuable, but they were also very vulnerable. Right? Sheep can't protect themselves from their predators, from wolves and bears that might come against them, and from thieves and robbers who might try to break in and steal them or hurt them in some way. And so in order to protect your sheep, you would put them in a pen, a sheepfold, some kind of enclosed area. If, uh, if this was in an, an urban setting, in a city, this might just be the, the courtyard of the family home. This is where the sheep would come, and then it rains, and you just bring them into the living room, and then you put them back outside, and that was just kind of life with your sheep. Out in the country, if this is where your sheep were, uh, the shepherds might take the sheep out into the country for different seasons to find pasture, and might build or find a, a temporary sort of pen. Now in the cities, uh, the family courtyard would have a, an iron door at the gate. So if we're thinking about the door of the sheep, that would, might be this kind of iron door or gate. Out in the country, there wouldn't be such a door. So in order to keep his sheep safe, the shepherd would lie down in front of the opening to the sheep pen, and he himself would be the door to the sheep. So as Jesus talks about him as the door to the sheep, he probably has one of these two ideas in mind, in which it is doesn't really make much, a dif- what, much of a difference for what he means by this. The point is largely the same. And Jesus gets at that point in verse 9, when he says that anyone who enters by me will be saved. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. You see, what, what Jesus is trying to communicate is that as the door, he is the one who protects the sheep. He, he keeps the sheep safe from predators, safe from thieves and robbers. If Jesus were here today trying to make that point, he might say, I am the firewall here to protect all of your precious data from those hackers who are trying to get it, right? It's a wall of protection, something that's trying to save something that's precious to us. And so uh, this is how Jesus wants to think about himself. He is our protection. Jesus is our protection. This is what it means for him to be the door of the sheep. And uh, as we read through the Gospel of John, we would have seen Jesus embody this very kind of protection just a little bit earlier in chapter 8. In chapter 8, these uh, Jewish leaders who Jesus just calls, has just called thieves and robbers in chapter 10, these same Jewish leaders bring a woman before Jesus whom they have caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her before Jesus and they say, the law says that we ought to stone this woman. Jesus, what do you think? And they do this in order to test Jesus. But you see, these religious leaders, they're not worried about justice, right? You notice that, that the man with whom she was committing adultery is not there right? He's gone absent, completely off the hook. These leaders, they're they're not after justice. Instead, they're coming to destroy this woman's life. They actually want to kill her. They want to come against her in violence. But it's more than just physical violence. They have completely destroyed her reputation, brought so much shame, right? They they, they go into her house. They they bring her out, perhaps even from the bed that she was in with this man. They take her in front of Jesus in the temple, in front of all these people, and they air all of her dirty laundry. 
And Jesus steps in the gap and he says, no, 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 no. He says, you think this woman deserves to die? How about the, first, the person who's without sin casts the first stone? And one by one by one, these religious leaders and all of the people, they walk away. That's this image of Jesus as the door. One who steps in to somebody so vulnerable as this woman and stands there as a wall to protect them from those who would come against them in harm. And this is what Jesus does for us as our protection. He stands between us and the evil one who would love to come against us in harm. Right? And he does this not just in a physical way as he does with the woman in this story, but he does so in a spiritual way as well. You see, Jesus says this when he makes this statement, I am the door of the sheep. He knows that he is going to the cross, that not long from now, he is going to give up his life on that cross for the sheep. And as he does that, there's a kind of exchange that happens. And in this exchange, Jesus takes our sin and our guilt and our shame and he takes it on himself and and, and he takes his righteousness and his goodness and he places it on us. We might think of it like a, like a bank account and we look in our account and we have this debt of sin that has accumulated. And there's, there's no amount of, of good works of being good that, that can pay off this debt. That's not how it works. And then we look at Jesus' bank account and, and we don't have a, a debt of sin. Instead, we have a, a credit, a surplus of righteousness. And when we place our faith in Jesus because of what he did on the cross for us, he takes our debt of sin and he puts it in his account and he takes his credit of righteousness and he places it in our account. And so now we stand before him righteous and holy because he has taken our sin and given us his righteousness. But then we, we think about what our lived experience is in this world. And remember, we have an enemy who would love to come against us in harm. And one of the chief ways that Satan does that is by coming with a voice of accusation. He's called the accuser in scripture, and that's exactly what he does. He comes to us and he says, you, you're nothing, right? You're nobody. You, you, think, you think you deserve to be loved with everything that you've done? You think someone could really love you if they knew you? right? Nobody could love you. You don't even love yourself. And he comes against us with lies of shame and guilt and darkness. And Jesus, the wall, the the, the door of the sheep stands in the gap. And he says, no, 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 no. I don't think so. He says, I have taken that shame. I have taken that guilt. I have given them my righteousness. This is my daughter. This is my son. This person is beautiful and precious to me. And he defends us against the accusations of the evil one. That's what Jesus does as the door of the sheep. He serves as our protection. But Jesus doesn't just serve as our protection in some kind of defensive way. He also wants to lead us into a life of blessing. And this also is included in this idea of being the door of the sheep. And it's what Jesus means when he says that not only will the one who enters by Jesus be saved in verse nine, but they will also go in and out and find pasture. You see, the the door at the front of the sheepfold, it would be closed at night to protect the sheep from predators and from thieves and robbers. But during the day, the door would open 
and the sheep would be able to go in and out and they would have access to the pasture where all the food is that they need for their well-being. So Jesus, as the door to the sheep, is not just our protector, but he's also our provider. He is our provision. Jesus is the one who opens the door to us so that we might walk through and experience all that we need. And Jesus has, has made this point also in the Gospel of John. He's put this on display for us, just like he had with, with the woman caught in adultery and his role as, as the protector. He also has illustrated that he is indeed our provider. He does this uh, in, in the story that Paul referenced a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about the idea of Jesus as the bread of life. Just before Jesus makes that statement, he does this miracle where he he feeds a huge crowd of 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. That whole story started though with the fear of the disciples, their their fear of having a lack. You see, they were out with Jesus uh, in in this kind of remote area and they saw all these crowds coming and they realized, we're going to have to feed these people, right? They're going to get hungry. But they looked around and, and, and they find five loaves and two fish and they're like, this, this isn't near enough, right? And there's this kind of fear that sets in out of this lack that they're experiencing. But Jesus takes those five loaves and those two fish and he, he breaks it off one piece at a time. And he keeps going and he keeps going and he keeps going until the entire crowd has had all that they need to eat. And then he sends out his disciples. He said, I want you to pick up all the food that's left in the field. And they gather all the food back into baskets. And the 12 disciples collect 12 baskets of food. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry. I am your provision. I'm the one who's going to provide for you. I know you have this fear out of this lack that you're experiencing, but you don't have to be afraid because I am here and I am going to provide This is what Jesus does as the door of the sheep. He opens up so that we might go out and have access to everything that we need. And so I want you to think about this morning. I want to ask you, what is it that you need? Or maybe even a better question is not just what do you need, but what do you need that you fear that you might not get? Because that really is the issue. What do we fear we might not get? You see, when you came in here this morning, you all had a need, a very desperate need for oxygen, okay? It's one of our uh, greatest, most urgent needs as people. Without it, we don't last very long. I doubt, though, that any of us came in here this morning anxious or fearful about whether we're going to have oxygen because there's plenty of oxygen, right? We're not feeling a lack, and so we're not afraid. But then we look at other areas of our lives, and when we begin to see some kind of lack, that's where the fear kicks in. We need something, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to get this thing that I need. And so that brings us to a place of fear and anxiety and worry. And Jesus wants to speak into that fear and anxiety and worry, and he wants to bring peace and confidence and faith in his ability to provide everything that we need. Now, I think one of my biggest fears in life is failing as a parent, right? letting my kids down, not, not doing my part to, to raise them be, to become godly young men who love and serve the Lord, to not help them become kind and gentle and gracious and compassionate. And I just have a, a fear that, that's deep down in me that I'm not going to be able to do this. Right? What if I mess this up? Like these are big stakes, right? 
and, and there's this sense of lack. Like, what, 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 maybe, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't have what it takes? And, and God just wants to speak into that lack, that sense of lack as my provider, and say, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because it's not up to you. And that is the, the, the truth that Jesus wants to speak into all of our lives in whatever area it is that we're feeling lack. Right? Wherever it is that, that we're looking for, uh, for, for something that we're not finding, we're looking for meaning and significance and we're not finding it, we're looking for impact and we're not finding it, whatever it is that, that we're looking for, where we're feeling some lack, Jesus wants, just wants to speak into that and say, you don't have to be afraid because I am here and I am going to give you everything that you need. So I want you to think about this morning, what is it that you need What is it that you need that you're afraid that you might not get? And then to be able to look to Jesus as the door of the sheep, the one who is our provision, and and have faith that he will provide for you when you need it. Well, this idea of Jesus as our protection, this idea of Jesus as our provision, as Jesus goes on, he, he wants to take this one step further. And so this is what we read in verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. A few years ago, Lindsay and I were uh, out for a hike at one of our local uh, open space preserves. And our oldest son, Peyton, was about six months old at the time. So he was in my back on a backpack. Um, And uh, as parents do, we had all the things for kids, right? A diaper bag full of diapers and wipes and snacks and toys and entertainment and and all the things. Uh, But we didn't want to bring that on the hike. It was a hot day, so we left that in the car. And as we got back to the trailhead, we found uh, somebody else in our car going through all of our things. And so we start yelling at them and running at them, and they jump in their car with our diaper bag and drive away, right? And uh, how disappointing it was for them, I'm sure, when they realized that this was a diaper bag. And when we got to the car, we realized that they had broken through the back window of the car and had crawled through and scratched it up and caused all this damage, right? And so we go to get it fixed, and obviously the the cost of repairing the the car is much more than uh, the value of the property that they stole that I'm sure they just tossed on the side of the road once they realized what it was. And I, I just wanted to, like... If I could just rewind the clock and just ask them, like, could you just have waited by the car and just said, like, hey, I was going to break in. I saw this stuff. It doesn't really look that great. Like, why don't you just give me the the value in cash of all of that and we can just call it good? I would have gladly taken that deal, right? It would have been much less expensive. But a thief doesn't show up and say, so I want to cause the the least amount of inconvenience to you possible. So can we can we kind of negotiate here, right? Can we find the most efficient way to go about this transaction? No, 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 no. A thief and robber breaks in and they steal what they want with no regard for you or your property or sometimes even your life, right? And that's the evil one. That is Satan and his demons. They are they are not concerned about collateral damage. Right? They, they, they are not concerned about, about how we feel. Right? They want to come in and their goal is to bring destruction, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And to, take, to take all of uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit and, and take it from us. Right? All of the, the joy, the peace, the love that we experience, anything in our lives that is good, true, and beautiful, anything that is of God, they want to come in and they want to steal it. They want to kill it. They want to destroy it. That is the enemy that we're up against. 
But in contrast to that, Jesus, as our protector and provider, says, I want to lead you into life. And not just any old life, not just life that feels like you're half alive, like you're not really living. I want to lead you into a life of abundance. See, Jesus is saying that he is our abundance. He's our provider, yes. He's our protector, yes. But he is our abundance. And he's inviting us into this life that is full and vibrant and meaningful, right? A, a life that's exciting to walk with Jesus through whatever we may experience. And Satan would love nothing more than to come in and in, in subtle ways and deceitful ways to get us to turn, instead of looking to Jesus for those things, for that abundant life, to look to something lesser, right? Sometimes something good, but something lesser. And so we look to our relationships and we just think, oh, maybe this relationship, if I could work on it and get it to a place, maybe this is going to, to provide that abundance, that fullness that I'm looking for. Or we throw ourselves into our jobs or our careers or our school because we think if we, could, if we could just go far enough down this road, then that's going to wake me up from this feeling of being half asleep and it's going to help me experience this full life, this rich life that I want. Satan would love nothing more than for us to seek after those things and to find it in some measure. Because when we find it in some measure, we are missing out on the abundance that Jesus offers us. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, work, The Weight of Glory, says it this way. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're, we're, we're seeking after this full life. Each of us, we all are. And, and we find it in small measure in things that are lesser. And it's like we're just making mud pies in a slum. Like, oh, this is not bad. Right? This is, it's kind of given me something. I'm getting something out of this. And, and Jesus is over here like, if you could just look to me, Right? If, you, if you could just come to me, if you, could, if you could just want more, not want less, but want more, if you could crave that abundance and recognize that I am where it's found. Right? I am abundance. I have abundant life and I want to pour it out to you. C.S. Lewis calls it infinite joy. Right? Any of us want infinite joy? I could go for some infinite joy. Jesus says, I have it. It's here, it's in me, and I want to share it with you. I want you to experience it. I want to invite you to stand. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go back into a time of, of singing and worship. And this next song that we're going to sing is uh, Not Yet I, But Through Christ in Me. And we're going to sing about Jesus as our joy. We're going to sing about Jesus as our righteousness. We're going to sing about Jesus as our redeemer and our shepherd. And as we do, my prayer is that we could just take our eyes off of whatever it is they've been fixed on and just look to Jesus and receive from him whatever he would give us this morning. 
So Lord, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to just, just turn our eyes to you, that we could detach ourselves from the things that hold our attention and our love and our desire, and we could just place those things on you. Lord, I pray that as we do that, that you would loosen up the hold that these lesser things have on our hearts and that we could experience infinite joy in you, that we could find forgiveness and redemption as you pour out your righteousness on us. Jesus, we want to be caught up in your abundant life. We don't want to be half awake and half asleep. We don't want to be half alive. We want to be fully alive in you. So God, would you bring that life? Would you just flood this room with your abundance as we experience you and worship you?